Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. The date is 1987. The place, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Your assignment is to listen to the case and ask, was a serial killer released from prison? You know the old joke, if her mouth moves, she's lying? Most people will tell you that described Catherine May Wood. And her lies possibly put someone in bars for life at the cost of destroying Kathy's own. Let's examine this case. It begins with a woman named Catherine May Wood, who was born March 7, 1962, in Michigan. She went by the nickname Kathy. Kathy had an oval-shaped face, she dyed her dark hair blonde, and she spoke in a soft, sing-song voice while widening her blue eyes in innocence. She grew to stand six foot tall and weighing over 250 pounds, yet she was very light on her feet. Kathy could sneak up behind you, and you would never hear it. She was a voracious reader into adulthood, from the stock market pages to the trashy fiction dime novels. Horror genre was her favorite, and she would shut herself away from the world hidden behind the pages. She would later claim an abusive childhood at the hands of both parents, including an alcoholic father. My dad was... he drank a lot. He was an alcoholic. He was abusive. So, I stayed by myself most of the time, physically, mentally abusive, she would say. At 17, she became pregnant by her boyfriend, and they married in 1979. She would become abusive to her child from the start, and very lazy around the household. Her husband worked at a factory, came home to try to clean the house, and take care of the baby. Kathy would claim she hated cleaning and cooking because her father used it as a punishment when she was young, so she would never do either as an adult. Thus, the house became filthy. Her husband thought work would inspire Kathy to be a better person, so he encouraged her to get a job. She was hired at the Alpine Manor Nursing Home. Kathy began running with a group of lesbians she met at work and she seemed to be in awe of their sexual orientation and their gossip. They found her to be manipulative, a cunning, pathological liar who just loved stirring up conflict and chaos. And Kathy would cause drama, and then she'd sit back and laugh at the chaos that she created. Enter Gwendolyn Gale Graham, one year younger than Kathy. Gwen wore her brown hair in a long, near-mullet style. She stood a little over five foot tall, and a stout 130 pounds. Gwen's eyes were green and they could darken in anger, sparkle when delighted, and her moods shifted quickly. She was cute in a tomboyish way. Gwen had moved to Michigan from Texas. She had had a very abusive childhood. She obtained work as a nurse's aide at Alpine Manor, 
just like Kathy, and she worked very hard. And there, she made friends, including Kathy. Gwen identified as a lesbian, so she fit right in with a night shift, mostly gay individuals. Friends meant the overnight shift workers who would get together after work to drink copious amounts of alcohol, fight, have sex, make up, break up, and eventually turn their debauchery loose during the night shift at Alpine Manor Nursing Home. They switched patients' beds. They played games, snuck in and out of rooms via windows to scare one another, teased patients, made nasty sexual announcements over the intercom had sex in bathrooms and empty back rooms, drank, and treated the nursing home as a personal playground. Kathy and her husband divorced, with her husband taking their child. Kathy would stir up plenty of trouble with him, including ordering Gwen to physically attack him on at least one occasion. Kathy took over the house, and it became the party house for her friends. Kathy and Gwen quickly became friends, then lovers, in 1986. They fought physically, but friends would say Kathy was the dominant partner, jerking Gwen by the hair and slapping her. Gwen was the obedient follower, yet Gwen had her moments. She would beat people to the ground, leaving them covered in blood and missing teeth. Often, it was at Kathy's bidding. Kathy Wood had a way of making people want to follow her. She was not movie star pretty. It was that sotto voice, using charm and personality. It was said she was the queen of the staff at Alpine. Despite all the illegal activities she committed and instigated, she was never disciplined. Kathy was even promoted to supervisor, where she overstepped and abused her power. The two decided to create a type of love bond. Kathy and Gwen turned it into a game they began murdering the helpless elderly patients. And when they were caught, it was Kathy Wood who gave the information, who testified, who exchanged a plea bargain for information. No one except Kathy and Gwen know the true story of who was the hands-on killer and who was the lookout. But Kathy was far more sophisticated and an excellent manipulator against Gwen's childlike mind and lack of intellect. According to Kathy Wood, the murders begin in 1987. Gwen begins sneaking into patients' rooms and testing them by covering their mouths and noses with washcloths. Kathy stood outside the patient's door and acting as Gwen's lookout. They selected patients who were too incapacitated to fight. Some patients struggled, some patients did not, and those patients died as a result. The patient's conditions made death appear to be natural. Some of them were cremated, so autopsies were not possible. In all, Kathy claimed they had killed five patients. Sometimes the murders excited them so much they would have sex immediately afterwards. One of them said cleaning the dead bodies was sexually exciting. They stole souvenirs from the dead, including a pair of dentures. At home, the two women practiced sexual asphyxiation, BDSM, and near-death sexual experiences in the bedroom. Why were they killing these helpless people? Kathy and Gwen agreed the secret between them would prevent the other partner from ever leaving the other. I will love you forever, they told one another. And then they added each murder as a day. I will love you forever and a day. 
Initially, they tried to spell out murder in a chart by killing people with the letters in their first names, M for Marguerite, etc. But they abandoned the idea as it just didn't work out. Most of the victims were incapacitated and some suffered from Alzheimer's disease. It was never mercy killings. I will love you forever in five days, they were now telling one another, because there were five victims. The victims were murdered in 1987. In January, there was Marguerite Chambers, 60 years old. In February, Myrtle Luce, 95. May Mason, 79 years old. Belle Burkhart, who was 74. And in April, Edith Cook, who was 97. I do want to add here that few articles and information I found did not mention the victims' names, which I find appalling. They were not just victims. They were loved ones who had the right to live out the rest of their lives, no matter their station in life. So I find it very important to list their names. Gwen Graham finally left Kathy Wood because of Kathy's abuse, and Gwen started dating another female nursing aide from Alpine Manor. But Kathy's behavior became so frightening that Gwen and her new partner moved to Texas. Gwen confessed to her new partner about the murders, and her partner initially did not believe her. It became sort of a joke. Kathy finally understood Gwen was never returning, despite her threats, her scare tactics, her begging her back. So Kathy confessed to her ex-husband, who eventually would go to the police. Then the police went to Kathy not even believing the story. And then Kathy started talking. Two years later, after the murders of five helpless elderly nursing home patients, Kathy Wood and Gwen Graham were facing murder charges. Kathy, ever the schemer, agreed to plead guilty to a charge of only one count of second-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit second-degree murder. She was sentenced to 20 to 40 years in a federal prison in September 1989. In exchange, she testified against Gwen Graham. Gwen was found guilty of five counts of first-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to murder and received life in state prison. I got her, Kathy would later tell fellow inmates. I got her back for what she did to me. She claimed her testimony against Gwen was retaliation. Gwen should have never left Kathy for another woman, Kathy said. A few years ago, I found where Kathy had placed an online ad. It was sort of a looking for love, lonely hearts page for inmates. Kathy was definitely looking for love. Her ad, though, was full of lies and very scheming. I contacted prison authorities at the Florida prison where Kathy was incarcerated. The ad was removed. It was against prison violations. Inmates who served time with her reported she was very exploitive and quite the liar, far worse than others who are incarcerated with her. So if inmates are calling another inmate very exploitive and quite the liar, that says something about character. Kathy was up for parole eight times, and victims' families were just horrified. They said if she gets out, she will kill again. Even law enforcement officials voiced their concerns over Kathy Wood being free, and they stated she will kill again. She cannot be trusted. Many believe she was the mastermind of the murders, and she only escaped serious punishment because she knew how to manipulate. Award-winning journalist Lowell Caulfield 
details the entire case in his 1992 true crime book, Forever in Five Days. Happens to be one of my favorite true crime books, and he is an excellent author. Still, after serving 30 years, Kathy Wood was granted parole in October of 2018, and she was released from federal prison on January 16, 2020, at the age of 57. And where is she now? As you are listening to this podcast, Catherine May Wood, who assisted in the murders of five helpless elderly people, serial killer, manipulator, is living quietly in a home in South Carolina because this serial killer was released from prison. Hey everybody, I'm Judith A. Yates, true crime author, criminologist, and I support PFLAG. That's parents, families, and friends of LGBTQ, also known as PFLAG. The PFLAG chapter network provides confidential peer support, education, and advocacy to LGBTQ and people, their parents, and families, and allies. PFLAG chapters are in communities in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. PFLAG has been saving lives, strengthening families, and changing laws since its founding in 1973. PFLAG is the first and largest organization dedicated to supporting, educating, and advocating for LGBTQ and their families. PFLAG works to create a caring, just, and affirming world for LGBTQ and those who love them. You can learn more about PFLAG at www.pflag.org. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation, $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.